0: Good morning, church. Uh, My name is Evan, and uh, I am uh, the uh, campus pastor out at our Vincent's campus. Some of you may not know that, so I'd like to introduce myself. Uh, You may not see me around this uh, location here at Washington. and Those of you who are with us at Vincent's, uh, glad you all are here this morning. Can I just say something uh, about the church across campuses? Well done, church. I mean, well done. you. Last week, you guys walked into this campus. Uh, you walked into the campus uh, uh, where you are attending uh, thinking you were just coming in for a normal service, right? And uh, you walked out of here rocking a stylish hairnet, didn't you? You walked down to our, uh, uh, or out to one of our locations to pack some meals, and across our campuses, we packed 40,000 meals. Yeah, that's <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. You know, those 40,000 meals will go um, to people in uh, both the, uh, the country of Haiti and Cuba, uh, families that really don't know where their uh, meal, next meal is coming from. We work with some local uh, ministries in those areas um, that are already doing some great things for the cause of Christ, and uh, they have nutrition plans for families um, so that those uh, kids sometimes that are coming to a school for education are walking home with a meal in their hand for their family. That's a big deal what happened last year. Week. Man, thank you so much for what you're doing. You saw a need, right? You saw a need and you, you met the need. That's what the summer's been all about, right? We've been in this series called Serve, Give, Go. Why? Because, well, because as Christ followers, we're called to do just that, right? Uh, to, to see the needs and to meet, this, to meet the needs. But, you know, often in our culture, right, there's the opposite type of response, right? The shrug it off and the, the idea of saying, not my problem. But not around here. Not as the people of Christ. No, we are to see those needs and to meet those needs. And by doing that, we then worship God. By, by doing that, we are serving God. Actually, it says it like this in Matthew chapter 25. It says, Jesus said, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You see, by seeing the needs and meeting the needs, we are serving Christ himself. By seeing the needs and meeting the needs, we are being the very hands and feet of Christ. By doing this, we are spreading hope that cannot be found in anything else other than Christ. So, so, well done. Well done, church. You know, as one of the leaders here at Bethany, it's a joy to be a part of special moments like this. Like the meal packing plan, or if you were with us a few weeks ago, we collected diapers and wipes for our pregnancy care centers in each of our towns. And These are, these are special moments, but but these moments aren't be all end all moments, quite the opposite Jesus uh, these, these moments should be like the spark of the fire that Jesus has burning in us, right These should become like a catalyst to remind you that this is what we are called to be that 's why hearing the story of uh, of Somebody who went down to the Dollar General at our Vincent's campus just made my heart a flutter. Uh, they went down there to, to grab some diapers on the day that we collected our diapers. And uh, man, uh, the, the Dollar General is like a mile away from our Vincennes campus. And uh, it, that place was like overwhelmed, like totally diapers were completely gone off their shelves at the end of the day, which was awesome. But there was this cashier standing there and she's like, what in the world? taking place like why in the world are all these people in here buying diapers um so she finally she after like you know checking out 20 people with diapers she she leans in she asks the gal she says why is everybody buying diapers and then Alex uh, proceeded to tell her what was going on and said you know diapers can be pretty expensive and the the cashier looked at her and said yeah i know i've got two in diapers myself right now to which i love the response of one of our people at this church she ran back she got two more cases of diapers she bought them and said, here, these are for you. That's awesome, right? That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's so awesome. Or oh, I love the story that I heard this week of somebody that saw a family walking down 57 here in Washington. And uh, they saw, saw this family walking in the pouring down rain with their groceries in their hands. It was a dad headed home uh, in the, the family vehicle. And he said, I pulled over, and I said, hey, can I give you a ride? And they're like, well, we've got kids, and they need, you know, special car seats. And we just, the car broke down. on us. he said, no, I've got car seats in here. I've got what you need. And he put mom and dad in the car, got the kids all loaded in, and took them home on this rainy day as they were carrying their groceries home. That's, that's what the church is called to be, to see needs and to, to meet those needs. You know the church in the corporate term, eleven thirty nine South State Road fifty seven and two thousand and eleven Willow Street. We we want to provide opportunities for you to be difference makers, whether that takes place with special moments like this, or or that's uh, experiencing ways to serve and opportunities to serve the kingdom by maybe being a part of like our children's ministry or being somebody that welcomes somebody in on a Sunday morning or helping in small groups or on landscaping teams. But truth be told. You are the church, and our biggest difference is not going to be as a place, but as a people of God. God has called us to be the hope of the world. Now, Christ is the savior of the world, but guess what? We are his chosen vessel to to, to what? To, to spread that hope, to point people to Christ. Actually, the scripture uses uh, analogies of light and dark, that we are called to be the light in the midst of the darkness, right? You know, a small light can light up great darkness. Darkness cannot snuff out light. Or, or salt, right? You, you can have a pretty bland and tasteless meal, and you add some salt to it, and it can make it a masterpiece. God has called us to be the difference. Not to just make a difference. God has called us to be the difference. That's what Jesus told us when he predicted his death. He says it like this in John 14, verse 12. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Max Spinner was his name. Max was the door greeter at my home church growing up, uh, at least in my later elementary years, I remember Max. He was this guy's solid head of silver hair. He had this real recognizable voice, a, a really big smile, and he had really large, like, Bear Paul-type hands, right? It was like God had designed him to be the door greeter, uh, He was perfect for it. Um, and, uh, I remember Max doing that for, for a short period of time for a couple of years, him being the door greeter. What I remember, uh, about that though, was I remember his wife maybe more than I remember Max. Her name was Pearl. And, uh, Pearl used to come up to the front of the stage uh, on Sundays. That was when we had these things called altar calls, and there were stairs at the stage, and she'd come, and she'd always pray at the steps, and she would often voice a prayer to the whole congregation. Would you just pray for Max? Max isn't a believer. I mean, she did that for years. Would you just pray for Max? Max isn't a believer. Anybody she'd come into contact with, would you pray for Max? Max doesn't know Christ yet. Max was in his 60s when he came to know the Lord, and immediately began serving at the church after doing that, Um, but Max was diagnosed shortly after that with terminal cancer, and he died quickly, Um, and uh, I remember Max as the door greeter, but I think I remember more about Max um, at his death than in his life, or at least the example that I saw. I remember going to the funeral home, um, and uh, My mom and dad had taken me there. It was just on the outskirts of town. And there was a grocery store next door to the funeral home. And the parking lot of the funeral home was completely full. And the grocery store parking lot was full. And you know, you've probably heard people say this before, but the line literally wrapped around the funeral home for people that just wanted to to give their condolences to Pearl and the loss of her husband. Now, Max wasn't, he wasn't some sort of like public figure he wasn't a like, school teacher or a coach. He didn't have some sort of significant job that gave him great influence over people. You no, know, in a few short years, he had made a massive difference in the lives of so many people because he simply showed them Jesus. You know, you have one life. You have one life. And you have one chance. What you choose determines how you live. This life is full of opportunities, isn't it? I mean, this life is full of opportunities, but you only get one of them. And while we all know our birth date, guess what? None of us know our expiration date. Like, nobody knows when the, when the time's going to end. Like, you could fall over of a heart attack in the next 10 seconds. Please don't do that. I don't wish that on you. That's not what I'm saying, right? Um, uh, you, you could walk out of this place, hop in the car, and be in a fatal car accident. I heard a, heard a story the other day of somebody that was out of, like, a lo- not a local mall here, but a local mall somewhere, and uh, they, uh, they walked out, and one of the light poles just, like, snapped off somehow, like, randomly, and fell on them, crushed them. They died. I mean, like, life is fickle, isn't it? Like, we do not know uh, when, when we are going to to lose our life. You have one of them. You have one chance. What you choose determines how you live. There's a story in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke 16. It's a parable. A parable um, is just a it's a, a simple story that's used to illustrate a spiritual or moral truth. And so Jesus is sharing this story. It's in Luke 16. We're going to be there throughout our time today. So why don't you just turn over there with me. If you brought your Bibles with you, pop it out. If you got your cell phone out, you can type in Luke 16. Or if you want to grab the Bibles in front of you, it's on page 850 in the Bibles in front of you. We're going to be in verse 19 of Luke 16. This is not going to be up on the screen. So I want you to, to get over there with me this morning. Now Jesus is teaching his disciples but guess what? There's this like, religious crowd, this religious elite, and they're standing over to the side, and um, well, they're, they're uh, kind of scoffing at Jesus' teaching. Now it's clear that what he's about to share is just as much for his disciples. Maybe, maybe it's actually it's more for the religious elite. Like the, the, Jesus is going to talk to the, the brevity of life. He's going to talk to the significance of life, the idea that we have we have one of these. And we have one chance. So Luke 16, I want to just read to you this passage starting, uh, starting in verse 19. It says this. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linens and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades where he was in torment. He looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and to cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted, now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Now, if you had to simply like summarize this story, just Quick summarization of what's taking place. Someday this world's going to be wrapped up. Someday life as we know it will be no longer. Someday the eastern sky is going to split and a trumpet is going to sound and and God is going to come back for his beloved, the, the bride of Christ, the church, us, his people. And if that doesn't happen in our lifetime, guess what? Someday the old ticker is going to stop ticking right? Someday the the lungs are going to stop filling with air, and we're going to take our last breath. And guess what? You're going to take nothing else with you. No no possessions will define our eternity. No amount of money in our bank account will determine our status with God. No, you have one life, and you have one chance. And what we do with this life determines what our eternal outcome will become. Someday we're going to have to answer what we did with others, and what we did for others. Some believe that this passage is somehow then condemning all those that that are wealthy, right? It's not the man's wealth that determined the man's destiny. It's what he did with that wealth, or maybe better stated, it's what he didn't do with that wealth. Just the same, it wasn't the poor man's lack of possessions that determined his outcome either. No, it was who he trusted. And how he had trusted God. Truth is, God's blessed each and every one of us with something. Now, I know some of you in this room, you have six-figure salaries. And some of you in this room, you're barely scraping to make ends meet. Uh, some of you in this room, though, you have like affectious personalities. Like you walk into the room, you are the life of the party. People love to spend time around you. Guess what? Guess what that does? It gives you influence. It gives you an ability to influence those you're connected with. Some of you in this room, um, you have positions of leadership. So that gives you sway over people. It gives you the ability to show them truth. Now, some of you have been blessed with a whole mess of children. Like you haven't figured out how that works and you just keep having more. right? And uh, you know, our greatest legacy is going to be found in our children. I believe, and uh, some of you have a lot of them, <laughs> and uh, you need to use that sway and that influence on your children. Some of you have been, some of you have been blessed with intelligence and smarts, and you're just intellectually, you get it. You could totally outthink me because I'm not a big thinker. I'm a, uh, I'm a practical person. But that that smarts, that intelligence, has given you esteem. It's given you some sort of power. And, Guess what? We, we just need to stop looking at wealth as some sort of monetary thing. But instead of look at it from the angle that God has given each and every one of us something, and someday what we did with that something is going to have eternal consequences. You know, there are some in religious circles that believe that uh, it's all going to end up uh, good for everybody. Like, we're all going to be in heaven someday. That's like universalism is what it's often referred to. Or, or, or if we don't end up in heaven, it's just going to be like you're just done. You don't end up anywhere, right? It's the idea of like, you either level up, video gamers, you either level up or it's game over. Like, that's what some people think. But this passage makes something very clear. Jesus is speaking a parable here, and he makes something really, really clear for us. There's a literal heaven where there is great glory and much more than we could ever imagine. There's going to be some awesome adventure in heaven, and there's a literal hell. There's a place of torment and suffering and pain. I recently was talking to an individual and they were, they were just kind of sharing their thoughts on God. And They said, you know what? I think if God is so kind and God is so gracious that he's going to give everybody one more chance after they die to choose him or to follow him or not. Can I just be blunt with you for a moment? There's not a chance in hell that's going to happen. I mean, literally, there is not a chance that that is going to happen. Not because God doesn't love you. Look, it's not because God doesn't love you. You know what it is? Because he's already given you the chance to make that decision. There is a place of unending beauty and much adventure, but there's also a place of eternal punishment and torment. And someday we will have to answer the question, what we did with Christ. Now, I'll be honest. For years, this passage has has kind of, I've read through it, and I've always felt bad for the rich man. The rich man, you feel bad for the rich man. He's a guy that wasn't doing anything right in his lifetime. Lazarus, right? He, he had a lot of pain. Dogs are licking his sores. I mean, it's kind of gross. It's nasty scene that's unfolding here. And and the, you know, you're, you're thinking about this story, and you're going, man, this this the rich man? No, but with an eternal perspective, you recognize what the rich man's going to spend an eternity in torment. In Hades, as it said, or in, or in hell, his, his pain wasn't temporary. It was forever. Look back at verse, verse 24 in our passage this morning. It says, it says this. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. All right? suddenly the, the script has been flipped, right? I mean, uh-oh, uh-oh, it's it's no longer the rich man that's being somebody begging to him. Now he is the one begging. Now, I don't want to get too theological right now. Like, are, are we going, if, if we end up in hell, are we going to, to be able to see those in heaven or vice versa? That's not the point of this passage. The point is that in this moment, the rich man looks up, and there is, some scriptures say, a deep ditch. It's referred to as a chasm here. There is this this void that cannot be found. Now, we know that deep ditch. We know that chasm as sin. Sin is the separator, right? Sin is the thing that separates mankind from God, and our sin has left a large, deep ditch between us and God. No amount of good works will earn us heaven, right? Right? We're never going to measure up. It's not like, okay, if I do 51% good, then it outweighs my 49% bad, and that means God's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. It doesn't work like that. In Romans chapter 6, it says the wages of sin is death. But what? The gift is a gift. Nothing we do earns it. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Maybe you've seen an image like this before. And it's this imagery of, right, the person, which represents man, and he is, well, he is sinful, and he has sin in his life, and God is perfect and holy, and eternal life sits on the other right, and there's the gap, and the only thing that can fill the gap is, is what? It's Christ. Nothing we do will allow us to jump over the gap. You know, here in a moment, I'm going to challenge you to do something pretty extravagant with your finances over the next week. But none of that matters. None of that matters if you haven't first made Christ the Lord of your life. His truth be told is that if you do not know Jesus as Savior, you will spend an eternity in hell. But I love what Romans 8.1 says. If you belong to Christ Jesus you won't be punished. That's the gospel. If you belong to Christ Jesus, you won't be punished, right? Truth is, you are risking your life. No, no, no. You are risking your eternity if you walk out of this place not knowing Christ is the Lord of your life. Now, for those of us that have made him the Lord of our life, we've made him the center of what we do, we recognize the truth now. And we should have an urgency that makes us want to go out and tell other people the truth. Or someday we're going to have to answer what we did in others. Right? As the scene unfolds, this desperation of the story becomes heavier and heavier. The man is distraught, looking for something to quench his unending hurt and suffering that he's facing. And he, he, he's, he, he's already made his decision though, right? There's nothing Lazarus can do for the rich man, just like there's nothing we can do for those who we have influence on who have died. Then the truth gets doubled down on. Look look back at verse 27 of the passage this morning. It says this, he answered, then I beg you, father, would you just send Lazarus to my family for I have five brothers and let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to him. No, father, Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He's like, would you just send somebody back to tell my brothers? I don't want them to go through what I'm going through. Like, please, please let somebody tell them of the pain and suffering. You know, I've heard people explain it like this, and I just want you for a moment to picture a scene. Now, this isn't theologically correct, but I want you to picture this scene. You're standing at the the gates of heaven and you're waiting in line to be judged, all right? And there's a big long line. It's like you're at the BMV, all right? That's not what heaven's going to be like, okay? Um, you're like, oh, that's hell. That's not where I want to be, right? Um, sorry, BMV workers, if there's anyone in the room. <laughs> so you're standing in line, and you're waiting, and uh, you're sure of your security, right? You, you know Christ is the Lord of your life. You know what's going to happen, right? You're going to go up there, and Christ is going to step in, he's going to say, he's with me. So as you wait, you kind of just kind of are watching people. And suddenly you hear this loud gasp and moan of, no, no. And then it turns to this sorrowful weeping, like the worst crying you have ever heard in your life. And you're like, where is that coming from? You're looking around, and then suddenly you start to hear it coming closer and closer to you. No, no. And you see this person being walked by you, headed to the pits of hell they look you in the eye, and it's your neighbor. Or it's your family member. Or it's that coworker. Or it's that friend. Now, I don't think it works out like this in, uh, in our time when we stand before God. That's a sobering reminder to me. It's a reminder to me that there are people that I see daily, that don't know Jesus. And if they were to die, they would spend an eternity in hell. But let's not let that like, make us hang our heads. Let us make, make that motivate our actions. Let's be a people that are pressing Christ into others. Every morning when I get up and look at the horizon, I see the smoke from a thousand villages where the name of Christ has never been heard. Preacher preached that in a message years and years and years ago, and a man by the name of David Livingston was in that room that day, and it just totally messed with him. Couldn't shake it from his mind. And as a young man, he had heard that about hundreds of tribes in Africa that had not yet heard the name of Jesus and. So Livingston used it as his motivation, became a medical doctor, and in 1840, he headed to the Cape of South Africa, and uh, he trekked some 29,000 miles through Africa and all these um, crazy uncharted territories. He he began to map them out. He saw slaves uh, being taken from their homeland in Africa, and he started to become an advocate for them. Some actually referred to him, uh, looking back at his life, that he was like Mother Teresa, Neil Armstrong, and Abraham Lincoln all rolled up into one. Livingston is quoted saying this, Christ alone can save the world, but Christ can't save the world alone. I'm saying it like this, sympathy is no substitute for action, right? I feel bad for those people, but if I do nothing in myself to change it, then something's wrong with me at that point, right? I, I, I should have sympathy for those that I know don't yet know Christ, but man, let that motivate my, my actions to do something. So here's three questions I want you to ask yourself today. What are you doing others. In Philippians chapter 2, it says, let each of us look not only to our own interest, but also to the interest of others. The story of the rich man teaches us a difficult truth, doesn't it? What we do in this life has eternal consequence, right? You have one life. You have one chance. This church, don't stop doing good. Don't stop being the ones that see the needs and meet the needs. Go, go help the stranded motorist, right? Surprise the single mom with groceries for the family. Help the neighbor who needs yard work done. Uh, Take time to just listen, to listen to that coworker and to really pray for them. Notice the little boy or the little girl that's looking for somebody to act as a mother and father in their life and use that influence you have to steer them in the right direction. Encourage the person that wears their hurt all over their face, right? Take the time, make the time to use your influence and to love others like Christ loved you. People, people are always more important than projects. Second, ask yourself this: what are you doing with Christ? Remember, none of this matters without Jesus, right? About a month ago, we challenged, we challenged people across our campuses um, with taking a step of uh, obedience and giving their life to the Lord in the baptistry, of coupling their belief uh, with baptism. And many of you responded. It's been such an amazing thing to watch video after video of baptisms across our campuses. And many of you have felt that conviction, but you've convinced yourself, like, I'm not ready. Like, I think there are people in this room today that have yet to take that step that need not walk out of here. Some of you have squashed the nudge. You've made an excuse. you said, maybe another day. Like, I just got to get my ducks in a row. This isn't about getting your ducks in a row. Your ducks are never going to be in a row without Christ. Let Christ help you get your ducks in a row, all right? In Acts 22, verse 16, it says it like this. And now why do you wait? Just rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Or I love how 2 Corinthians 6 says it. I tell you, now, now is the time of God's favor. Now, now is the day of salvation. And finally, let's ask ourselves this. What are you doing in others? In Proverbs chapter 19, it says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deeds. Church, we are the hope of the world, so let's use our assets and our efforts, and let's use them to, to point more people to Christ. You know, TB and Ronnie Paul um, are missionaries in India that we have long supported. Man, they have a special place in the heart of our leadership, And some of, there's a select few people in our congregation that have had the uh, honor of going over and seeing the ministry that's happening in India. And man, can I just tell you this? They do so much with so little. It's amazing the ministry that's being pressed out there. Now, there in India, um, the major religion is Hindu. um, And so um, there are, they're literally like these shrines to false gods set up on corner after corner. And like people go and like throw their money in the shrines or pray at these shrines. They're supposed to help them get well or to help fix their situation, guess what? It doesn't work, okay? It, it, it's, it's a lie. And so TB and Ronnie have been on the front lines for many years of showing Christ, but, but when you become a Christian in India, you become a part of the lowest caste um, system, all right, so you're the lowest of the low in that country, and so you, not only do you oftentimes lose family and, and friends because you have turned your back on the the f- common faith of Hindu. Now now you are losing, you're losing your maybe your stand, your your standing, you're losing your your wealth or what you stand for, and so so suddenly everything changes for these people, and so. The mission work that's happening is just unbelievable. There's a hospital there, and they're providing all these medical needs, which I love it. Now even those of higher classes are like, we want our, that's the best place, because Western medicine has made its way there, and they're like doing better things for people in the hospitals, and they're like, we want this place to, to help us. So now they're getting a greater influence, or in the schools, there's people of wealthier status that are like, we want our kids to go to that school, because we know the education they're getting there. And guess what? They not only get educated in a, and actually, they also hear about Christ. Along the way, there's just some amazing, amazing things. Now, TB is now going around from community to community. He is raising up pastors and then planting churches into these communities. And he's come back to us and he's told us this. It takes about 10000 American dollars to build one local building that is the church in that local community that becomes a central hub, a central point for all those who are Christ followers, but then others. It's just like it becomes just like a community center that allows them to minister and give people the gospel of Jesus. It's just amazing. So here's what we're doing next week, next weekend, next Sunday, above and beyond our normal tithe and offering, we want to raise $30,000. It's three churches. We want, to, we want to tell TB, we just built you three churches in India. So what's that mean for you? Why am I telling you this ahead of time? Right? The last two things have just been thrown on you the day of. Because we want you to have time to prepare. Like I know some of you have budgets. And you're like, okay, I have a budget, and I, I, just don't, I don't have that money allotted. You have some grocery money. Maybe you're just going to clear out the, the pantry this week, and you're going to clear out the deep freeze. You're not going to use your grocery money this week. You're going to put that towards the mission work. Maybe it's for you. It's like, we're not going out to eat. Um, this week, we're going to use our out-to-eat money. Maybe it's the, the soda that you buy like twice a day, and that adds up to like $10. You know, truth be told, there's some of you in this room, you have the money that you could, you could write off a bill right now, and you could take care of one church all by yourself. Maybe that's what you're going to do. I, gosh, I would love to be able to say, uh, TB, honestly, three, he needs more than that. But we've told him we want to do three, and that's our goal. But man, I'd love to be able to say, TB, we're going to do four. We're going to do five. We're gonna, y- you think about this. I really, truly want you to take this to to heart. I want you to think about how you can, maybe you're going to get on the the Facebook and you're going to sell some things that you have laying around that you don't put to use. I mean, you could turn the old uh, sofa into a church that reaches somebody for the name of Christ that changes their eternity. Your your lunch next week could turn somebody's life around so that they don't spend an eternity in hell. Your soda could change the life of an individual halfway across the world so that they come to know who Jesus is. That's a big deal, right? Your bank account could have eternal consequences on the lives of people. And we want to do something massive for those in India. We want to we make a big, big difference. But it's not about the amount you give. It's about the sacrifice that you make in doing that. Every morning when I get up and I look at the horizon, I see the smoke from a thousand villages where the name of Christ has never been heard. That's what motivated David Livingston to missionary work. And can I tell you, there are men and women who are hopeless, who have never heard the name of Jesus. So take that challenge and see what God does through his church. And ask yourself this question today and every day. What are you doing for others? What are you doing with Christ? And what are you doing in others? Because guess what? You have one life. You have one chance. And what you choose determines how you live.